And here we go, Saturday night, Las Vegas. It's Heatwave Sports, Fox Sports Radio, Las Vegas. That's 98.9 FM, 1340 AM. And the usual suspects, Tim Unglesby and Mateo with you here in Sin City, Las Vegas. All the way over on the East Coast, TomBartonSports.com, hashtag SGN, Mr. Tom Barton. And we're going to go two hours tonight to get you ready, of course, for week three in the NFL. Tommy, it's... um, it's football, man. It's just what's preoccupying our time every weekend now. Yeah, well, uh, you say that. I watched the Yankees today beat up on the Red Sox. Giancarlo Stanton. I watched the San Diego Padres be eliminated today. And the Cardinals uh, just will never lose again. So, yeah, there's a <laughs> lot of football. I get it. I'm a football guy. But don't tell me baseball isn't exciting right now. Oh, I love it as well. I'm with you on that. And, I mean, if we had a four-hour show, that'd be perfect for us, wouldn't it? <laughs> Four hours of baseball? Yeah, why not? <laughs> <laughs> well, we're going to talk football tonight, obviously, and we're going to get you ready for week three. Like I said, we're going to get you those free plays, which are undefeated so far this season. But, Tommy, today in the world of college football, it's just an interesting day altogether. You had a uh, top ten team in Clemson lose their second game of the year, officially prob- most likely eliminating them from any national title contention you had Oklahoma the number one team in the country hanging on for life you had Alabama the other number one team in the country beating up on patsies I mean just a regular day at the office but a lot could have went south real quickly this afternoon well a lot could have went south a lot uh, you know would have and should have gone south you know when teams win like this uh, you know even close ones and oh man they got out of it it should ding them up but it usually doesn't right I mean The one thing that I will say, it did open up the door for some other teams. Notre Dame is right now, with this win, officially in the playoff picture, right? Um, Mm -hmm. So you start to open up the door for some teams when other teams start to falter. What do you, you know, when when really when we look at what's going to happen here, and Clemson, look, North Carolina State's no joke. We we said that in our preseason show that, they were going to be a tough team to handle. And then on the road, you know, the first loss, first game of the year, okay, you can live through that. They're not coming back from this one, Tommy. And, you know, this is a program that for the last close to decade has been right there in the mix every year, including winning a couple. So it is a big surprise. But at the same time, that's what you expect at some points, you know, during these runs. So really you just kind of look at it as even if they run the table – and win the ACC, there's not a backdoor entry here. No, no, there's not. And you can effectively eliminate uh, the ACC, right? When Clemson goes down, you can effectively eliminate the ACC. North Carolina was supposed to be the second team this year in the ACC. Uh, That's not going to be the case, right? I mean, North Carolina might win the the ACC, but there's 0% chance that they're getting to a, a, a playoff, right? So you start to look at the teams that might get there. Maybe Virginia Tech if they turn it on. Maybe. I don't see that being a good path. Louisville? I don't see that being a path. NC State? Anybody believe in NC State? No. As much as I like Wake Forest, do you see Wake Forest? No. So that's why I said, we always look at it. We say the big five. But only four can go from the big five, right? So that means one conference has to drop out. With Clemson losing today, uh, generally speaking, the ACC is now out of this. 
Mm-hmm. But enter Notre Dame, who's not part of the Big Five, but all of a sudden they play that ACC schedule. They are now alive with beating Wisconsin. So we're still in that shuffle mode. You know, you're still in that shuffle mode, even though I think a lot of things got cleared up today. Um, the ACC is out, unless you want to talk about Notre Dame. You're going to need a lot of help to get them back in. When you really look at the top 25, since we don't have the – the. Uh whatever they call it nowadays. That doesn't start for a few more weeks, but Bama and Georgia, the SEC still undefeated. Oregon up 12 right now at home going into the fourth quarter against Arizona. They should hang on and win that game, so they'll stay where they're at. Oklahoma survived today against West Virginia. You got Iowa and Penn State coming out of the Big Ten, so you're right, Tom. There is no ACC school in the top ten anymore with the loss, so you have two coming potentially out of the SEC slash Big Ten, a Pac-10, Oklahoma, maybe Oklahoma. Right. And then uh, Notre Dame. Yeah. And listen, here's the thing with Notre Dame, right? We know this. We know no matter what happens, someone's coming from the SEC, maybe two teams. We know that with a bullet, the end. Okay. Um, We also know that if Oklahoma goes down, the Big 12 might get eliminated. If Ohio State goes down, Big 10 might get eliminated, right? I mean, I I don't know if they put in, uh, you know, undefeated Iowa, for example. Uh, you look at the Pac-12. If Oregon goes down, they potentially could be eliminated. But I start to look at Notre Dame, and we always talk about teams that can afford a loss. You know, Ohio State, probably not. Oklahoma, probably not with that schedule this year. Nobody in the, the Pac-12. But Notre Dame might be able to afford a loss, and here's why. Okay, I'm just making the case. I'm not a Notre Dame fan, but let me put that out there. Yes, they struggled against Florida State. Yes, they struggled against Toledo. Um, and they beat Purdue. But they just beat Wisconsin, the number you know, 10 team in the country, between 10 and 15, depending on what rankings you're looking at, right? Next week, they have Cincinnati. It's a home game, but right now, Cincinnati's ranked number eight overall in the country. Tim, that's a big win. Then they go to Virginia Tech. That's going to be a night game. That's going to be crazy. That's an eye-opening win there. Then they play USC. Then they play North Carolina, who is in the top 25. So... The next four games for Notre Dame, I think they could drop one and still go to the national championship or the the playoff picture because you have four games in a row. I will tell you this. Notre Dame, you know, I don't know. They were ranked 12 before the the week began. So win over Wisconsin. We'll get them inside the top 10. Let's just say eight or nine, right? A win over number eight Cincinnati takes that spot, which means all of a sudden Notre Dame, you got to rank them at Six or seven. Win over Virginia Tech, maybe knocks them up a notch. We're at six. Win over USC, even though USC is, is not what they're supposed to be. Listen, a win over USC, maybe gets them into the top five. And then a win over North Carolina, if they keep winning. You're talking about Notre Dame before the, the shuffling and before you know an undefeated season, before all that shakes out. Talking about Notre Dame very potentially sitting there and being a top three or four team. That doesn't, you know, has four games left at which they should clear out the four games. I think Notre Dame is one of those teams this year. They could lose a game, Tim, and still go to the national championship picture. It's one of those instances, right, Tom, where the schedule is an advantage for them playing all top tier schools like that. When I see, for instance, well, well, let's take a look at the whole picture. We're only in week four, right? So. With all these SEC teams jumbled up, all the Big Ten teams jumbled up here, they're going to start 
picking each other off at some point. And you talk about a Notre Dame sliding through, which they, they, they keep winning, they will. You're right. What about a team that we both circle that during the pre, preseason show as an undefeated school? And I'm talking about Coastal Carolina, Tommy, uh, sitting there at 17. Another big win today. They're just going to kind of coast through here and be undefeated. They'll just start moving up, Tom, as these big, big power schools start moving down. You know, I hope you're right, but I still I think that the highest that they could finish is five or six, and they're going to mm-hmm. play in that, you know what I mean, that New Year's play-in game. Because here's the thing. They're at 17 right now. So this is an impressive 50-point win. I know it's against UMass, but let's say it gets them into the top 15. Okay, usually I think a win like that gets you a spot or two up. So it gets you into the top 15. Louisiana Monroe, 14 maybe. Arkansas State on the road, maybe it gets you into... 13. So they're about 13, 14 going to Appalachian State, which would be the most eye opening game because it's look, it's a 7 30 night game. It's on ESPN 2. It is a good Appalachian State team. If they win that game, Tim, even if they win that game, I don't know if they crack the top 10. So maybe they're 10. If not, they're about 11. Then who's moving you up? Troy's not moving you up. Georgia Southern isn't moving you up. Georgia State isn't moving you up. Texas State isn't. And, and you know, South Alabama isn't moving you up. So even if they did, let's say you went up in increments. Let's say people collapsed in front of you. You know, I see six or seven at best. And that's a shame, but that's what I'm looking at. Before the year, I looked at their schedule. I said, this team's going undefeated. I put money on them going undefeated. I put money on their win total. I am all over Coastal Carolina, guys, all over them. I just know what the voters are going to look at. And they're going to look at them and they're going to go, all right. 17, 15, 13, 12. Oh, good story at 10. Oh, they're a fun story at 8. Oh, they're a fun story at 7, Tim. 6. Oh, oh they're Turner Neds. 5. Oh, they're dangerously close. We can't, we can't let them into, get into the top 4. And and I think that that is the ceiling that college football is right now. Yeah, they're going to UCF them, basically. Yeah, right? and you know, we do have a lot of contenders here. I mean, we're, we're putting Oklahoma in, but Oklahoma looked bad, and Baylor's 4-0. You know, mm-hmm. in the Big Ten, something's got to break because you have 4-0 Penn State, you have 4-0 Iowa, you have 4-0 Michigan. You know, you have something's going to break there. Um, 4-0 Michigan State, I don't want to leave them out. You have a lot of undefeated teams. I know it's early, but the schedule is just that, you know, we could have a couple of undefeated teams there. But with Ohio State effectively eliminated, you know, can they crawl back into this thing? Maybe. But with so many teams playing so well, I don't know if Ohio State can get back in. So they are, are they going to decide, and this is kind of the question, do they decide between, you know, a one-loss Ohio State team or an undefeated Coastal Carolina? Oh, well, that'll be Ohio State. Right. right? Do they decide between – so that, that we know, right? Do they decide between – you know, a we just eliminated the the ACC, right? But if it came down to it, are they deciding between a one loss, say NC State team or, or North Carolina, or a North Carolina team? One, no, I think Coastal Carolina has the edge over the ACC, but they don't have the edge over a, a two uh, over a one loss SEC team. So that would get two. They don't have the loss over an Ohio State in the Big Ten. That would get them one. So what Coastal Carolina would need their path to making the playoff is this. The ACC kind of blows itself up. Nobody's undefeated there, okay? That is a very easy scenario to imagine. The Pac-12 beats itself up. There's no undefeated team there. 
I can imagine that. Look, Oregon right now only has a five-point lead, okay? I don't know if Oregon goes undefeated the entire year. So I can imagine both of those. But I don't know if I can imagine them taking a one-loss uh, or, or uh, them taking Coastal Carolina over a one-loss Oklahoma or a one-loss Baylor. So that's the problem. They would need just a, a lot of things to break. <laughs> you know, they the ACC, okay, that's taken care of. Maybe the Pac-12 could kind of eat themselves alive. You put Ohio State in. Now they got to hope that the Big 12 just collapses. You know, the best thing right now for uh, this team would be Oklahoma losing, you know, two games here. Them kind of just uh, vouchering and, and vulturing themselves. And Oregon to lose, you know, a game here and then a game late. The only path that I see is an undefeated team up against a couple of one-loss teams that are uninspiring. And a one-loss Wake Forest team. Yeah, they'll take Coastal Carolina. A one-loss, uh, you know, Baylor. Maybe they take Coastal Carolina, but it's a tough pass. Yeah. And Tommy said an upset alert in Eugene th- going into the fourth. Tom, twenty-four-nineteen. The third-ranked Ducks lead Arizona, which just lost to a D two school last weekend after getting obliterated by a rival Arizona State. So. Uh, the craziness continues today. We'll see what happens in the fourth quarter. We'll keep you up to date on that. Let's let's swing to something closer here to us in Las Vegas. Tom, tell me about the spirited UNLV football team dropping a 38-30 decision to Fresno State last night. Weird how everybody frames um, things in, <laughs> around here, right? Isn't it a little weird how everybody frames things? And I called it last night. We were all we're all in a text message. There, there's a ton of us. And I said, the narrative is going to be horrendous of tough win, good fight. Tim, I'm looking from the outside in, and I always give you from the outside in, right? And from the outside in, what I see is a Fresno State team coming off a massive emotional victory, one of the biggest victories in, in you know their, their history, recent history at least. Um, they come out flat. UNLV has a 14-point lead. And they blow it. They're outscored, uh, I mean, just absolutely destroyed in the second half. They're outscored in the second half the way that I assumed the entire game went. So they came out of the locker room in the first quarter lackadaisical. Fresno State has to have an emotional letdown. We we talked about it on the show. Had Mm -hmm. to have an emotional letdown. From that point, after they kind of got their head out of there, you know what, and the emotional letdown was done, they they outscored them 38-16. to Right, so I don't want to hear about this. Oh, it's a moral victory. It's an emotional thing. No, no, there's no moral victories when you get outscored 38 to 16 in the last three quarters. Right, 29 to 16 in the last in the second half, and you're outscored in the fourth quarter. No, that is a team that collapsed. So while everybody in the desert is spinning this as a good moral victory. Oh, this is a moral victory. This is a great job. This is a this, this is a that. Listen, they were massive underdogs. I get it. But you lost the game, right? You lost that game. And you lost that game with a massive lead. This was a another UNLV collapse. And you can tell me, Tom, they weren't supposed to be in it. And this is a spirited guy. No, 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 no. I don't want to hear any of that. You got spotted 14 points. 14 points you were spotted. Couldn't hold on. And not only that. I told you guys before the half, it was funny because Chris Wynn wrote us and he was like, ah, guys, you think UNLV can hold on? I said, they'll probably lose by double digits, right? <laughs> right and they right. 
ju- almost lost by double digits. I mean, that doesn't show me, you know, a spirited and a fighting team. And a, everybody kind of gets compartmentalized, and you look at things just from your team's perspective. But if you're listening to radio in Fres- Fresno right now, and I don't know, that's probably terrible radio. But if you're listening <laughs> to radio in Fresno right now, they're sitting there. That they, they're not even looking at UNLV. That, that UNLV meant nothing to them yesterday. They're going, man, we came out of the locker room flat. It was a big emotional win. But you know what? Listen, we, we gathered it together. We were able to dominate after the first quarter. Now, we just got to make sure we kept our heads on a swivel. And what are the coaches in that locker room saying? Guys, we told you about a letdown. Biggest win that we've had in years. The biggest win of your guys' career. You know, there was going to be some kind of letdown. Glad we were able to recover, though. No, no. UNLV playing tough isn't even on their radar. Because this was Fresno State just coming out of the locker room after a massive emotional win with a letdown. That's all this was, Tim. Emotional letdown after a massive win. Some of them were probably, Tom, looking ahead to next week, they go to Hawaii to play. You know they're going to go a couple days early for that, right? So we we all saw this coming. The 31 was way too many points. And um, actually it was, you know, we scored Tom, to open up the second half. They're up 21-9, and that was it. They got outscored 29-9 the rest of the way. And I, I even read people trying to find positives. Well, at least they didn't give up 300 on the ground, but they gave up 400 through the air this week, Tom. So there's no, there's no, you know, I don't know what silver lining you're looking for here other than you should have expected the number that we originally talked about was set for a reason that low. And yet here we are, people scratching their heads, wondering what's happening. The chase for one is what we call it now, right, Tom? we got to find one win left on the schedule. It's, it, I don't see it. I didn't see it at the beginning of the year either. But, um, you know, you can say what you want about spirited first halves as they've played decent first halves in every game this year. But the common denominator that I look at is they've managed to lose every game in the second half. Well, let, let me address a couple of points. If you are winning the first half and losing the second half, you know what that means? Your coach is bad at adjustments. That, that's all it means. He's being out-adjusted, out uh, right? Uh, Bill Belichick used to say, if you wait until the half to make adjustments, you're already too late, okay? But most coaches uh, start to make adjustments in the second quarter. And, and, you know, early second quarter, you make those adjustments, bring it into the, into the halftime, and you go, okay, guys, remember what we just talked about? Now you implement them. The sign of a good coach is how do you do in the second half? Well, Arroyo showing us what he can do or what he doesn't do. Also, you know, the idea that, well, we didn't give up a lot of ground ground yardage. You have to look at yardage. And this, this is the guys that rate box scores. This is the sports analysts out there and the writers. I guess I'm not going to let them go away with it either. And the writers that we know never played the sport, have no idea what they're talking about, and only are looking at box scores. Because you look at UNLV's rushing. 19 carries for 102 yards for, for Charles Williams. He looked great, right? He looked great. Mm-hmm. But he gained only 102 yards with a 14-point first-quarter lead. They should have been running the ball. And like you said, look, they went into the half at 14-9, to nine, and then they scored, and they were up 21-9. to nine. That's when you're going to run the ball. So I'm not overly impressed with the rushing yards by UNLV just because their game plan and the game script said they're going to run the ball. And I don't care that Fresno State didn't have a lot of, of rushing yards because everybody in the building knew down 21-9 and down 14 nothing. what's going to happen? You're going to throw the ball, right? I mean, you're going to throw it. So 378 yards, you know, five touchdowns later, yeah, they were going to throw the ball. So, 
again, if you're gonna if you're gonna sit there and go, hey, we stopped them from rushing, you have to give me the game script. If this was a you know a seven point game throughout the entire game, I would say, hey, that's a, that's a pretty good accomplishment. But wait a minute, you had a fourteen nothing lead, you had a twenty one nine lead. They were throwing all day, right? Forty two attempts through the air. And they only had twenty three carries. Just for a comparison, UNLV had thirty six. It's game script. So guys, stop reading the box score and telling me that they had a good game. Watch the game, understand the game, and just understand that UNLV, you could call it spirited. You could call it a a nice game. You could say, you know, it felt good or whatever you guys want to do to make yourself feel better. I'm looking at this from the outside in. And if I'm reporting on this, I'm not reporting nationally. Hey, the UNLV Rebels played well in a spirited game that they almost won. No. How am I reporting on this nationally, Tim? It's very simply, hey, UNLV blew a giant lead and collapsed to let Fresno State, uh, State avoid the letdown. That's it. Yeah. That's that's the story here. And it's spun in, in Las Vegas to be a positive when you lose a 21-9 third quarter lead and a 14-0 advantage in the first quarter. It's spun as a positive. That's how far this franchise and this school has fallen well we always like to look ahead right tom next week for the rebels they're gonna play in the alamo dome as they take on utsa the road runners so first things first uh, before we get to the line or what we think the line will be sincere mccormick how are they going to stop this guy 184 today a couple of 40 have two or three touchdowns and and there's no look ahead for texas san antonio this uh, you know he's in deep trouble yeah, and the line is going to be so low because a spirited win, right? I We called the line, you know, 30, 30s, 30s. Um, I think that this line is going to be set alarmingly low, Tim, because of this kind of effort. I'm going to say, I want to say 17, but it, may be like, it might be like a weird number, like 18 or 19. I, I, I think anything under 20, you got to love it. And I'm not a big guy on power ratings, but I do my own, adjust them as the season goes on just so I can kind of get a feel for the line sometimes, Tom. So am I wrong? Tell me if I'm wrong. I had this at 21. Yeah, that's what I was saying. I, you know, Anything under 20. What I, I said, you know, I, I would like to say it's 17 because the betting side of me wants it to be 17. I right, think 18 right. and 19, you got 21. We're right there. You know, it's going to be – I don't think it's going to go quite to 21 because they know, you know, UNLV just played well. 20 makes I, I can deal with 20, 19, 18. It's going to be right there. You're going to have to win the game by, by three touchdowns if you bet in Texas San Antonio. And do you feel that Texas San Antonio may be overlooked somewhere as far as when these lines are being made? You know, they just knocked off Memphis, a good Memphis team today. That was a hell of a football game. So maybe maybe they're coming off a big win, but it, at the same time, I think for a school like that, Tom, they're looking at, again, we're looking at trying to go undefeated here, and um, UNLV is a step in the road. That's the thing. You know, Texas San Antonio is not a school that people are paying attention to. They're not a school that anybody wants to, to, to have anything to do with. They're a school that, you know, look, they understand we're getting overlooked. No one's paying attention. We're, we're, nobody cares about it. I mean, this is, this is what you're talking about. And that's a dangerous team to go after UNLV. You want to talk about a letdown spot, right? If UNLV is reading the papers today, Tim, what are they? What are they reading? They're listening to other radio shows. What are they hearing? 
Oh, spirited effort. Great job by them. They were in it late. Oh, it's a heartbreaking loss. That's what they're hearing. So what do you think? You think that they're going to get up even bigger now, right? Are they going to turn around and get more up for a game against Texas San Antonio at home than they would Fresno State on the road? No. This is a Texas San Antonio team, by the way. Um, like you said, McCormick runs wild. They have handled everyone. Illinois, good win. Middle Tennessee uh, State, good win. Memphis on the road, yeah. They're looking at their schedule and they're going, UNLV is a bump in the road, mm-hmm. right? And UNLV, this is a letdown spot. Even though, look, it's letting down from a, a, you know, a loss. If you guys build it up, if that, if that city builds it up as a great emotional win, then you're going to have a letdown. I don't think they should, but they will. And I'm looking at this and I'm saying, man, I could see them rolling, rolling all over. I think that line's going to be a lot lower. You know, the more I think about it, I'm leaning towards more about 17, Tim. And we're both okay with that. The Rebels, Tommy, 3-1 and one against the spread this year. Yeah, look, there's uh, uh, making betters money all over the place. Yeah. And I'll be making money with betting the under for their wins of the year. <laughs> yes, sir. Give you an update as we head to the timeout. Oregon with a field goal to open the fourth, 27-19. Arizona ball, 13 minutes to go there in the uh, in that Pac-12 football game. When we come back, of course, it's time for week three of the NFL. And we're going to go ahead and give you our analytic side of things here as we get you ready for football tomorrow. It's Heat Wave Sports, Saturday night, Fox Sports Radio. Week three of the NFL, Tim Unglesby, Tom Barton with you here on Heat Wave Sports. And a quick program reminder, tomorrow some team called the Vegas Golden Knights begin preseason play in the NHL. So we are off tomorrow night. Back at it next weekend, though, for both shows. And, Tom, it's a uh, interesting week three when we were talking about these games, and, and not even necessarily from a, a betting perspective, just in general. It's a really ugly week when you look at it. Yeah, it's uh, from a... Um, but, you know, it, look, all those weeks that we talk about, that you know, that we come in, we go, oh, man, it's nasty, it's ugly, it's uh, nothing great, I don't like... There, there always seems to be that great game that we're going to be talking about. Now, I think we have some good games on the board, um, but they get ugly with the injuries. I mean, Indy, Tennessee should be a great game between two uh, teams battling it out. This might decide the division, this might decide the playoffs. Yeah, backup quarterback. Right, Washington Buffalo, top five defense last year. That you know, a couple of plays away from making the Super Bowl for both of these teams. Uh, oh, backup quarterback, <laughs> right? You you go, you know. All right, so where where else? Oh, Cincinnati Pittsburgh. That could be like the next. Oh, oh, bunch of injuries there. Oh, Miami Vegas. Miami that defense coming. To the, oh, 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 backup quarterback there. Seattle Minnesota. That's going to be fun. Dalvin Cook after Derrick Henry. Oh, 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 that's <laughs> some injuries there. I mean. That's why the week got so ugly so fast, Tim, because I think there are some good matchups. You know, yeah. there are some good matchups that I'm, I'm looking forward to. I am massively pumped for tomorrow, personally, but a lot of games that you look at and you just go, man, the injuries just took the air right out of them. Well, let's take everybody 
through week three. We'll give you our analysis and, and where we kind of lean in this game. And, of course, stay tuned for the free plays. Tommy 2-0 and on straight straight sides or totals. And the Tim Teaser. The Timmy Teaser is 2-0 and as well. I know Tommy hates it, Tom. But uh, Timmy Teaser 2-0. and I got, a, I got a nice juicy one this week as well. Tim, I don't care what you do if you're making money, right? I don't yeah. like teasers, but if you're winning, I love it. It doesn't matter <laughs> to me. You know, the biggest bet that I, I'm five and one on the year in the NFL, right? And my biggest win of the year came on a prop play. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, um, it was week one with Tom Brady on the over touchdowns. I mean, that was the biggest win. So, whatever, however you go about making money, go about making money, man. I love that. I'm excited to hear the Timmy T's. I won't be playing it. But I'm excited <laughs> to hear about it. <laughs> well, let's take you through week three. We'll start with uh, Tom's second favorite team, the Jacksonville Jaguars at home, welcoming in the undefeated Arizona Cardinals. Cardinals 2-0, and Jags 0-2. and The line sets at 7.5, Tom, 51 the total. And we look at a situation here with a Cardinal team averaging 35 points through their first two games. And a Jaguar team that's, look, we, we knew they were going to have issues, right? I, I don't know if it would be this bad of issues because they're looking like the Jags of old to me. How do you want me to break this game down, Tim? Do you want me to break this down as an X's and O's football man that, that, that I could break down a game? Or do you want me to break this down as a handicap? Because there is a difference here. From an X's and O's standpoint, what you have is you have a coach that's over his head, Urban Meyer, admitting that every team feels like Alabama, right? Uh, you know, oh, this is this is rough. He, you know, this guy thought he was getting Purdue on the road, right? I, I mean, come on, he's in over his head. His mind is probably already in USC. Uh, Trevor Lawrence, rookie guy, look coming up, he's going to have his his problems, but he's got a lot of drops too. They got a lot of drops on that team. His defense isn't giving him any help. He knows he's got to do it. Kyler Murray threw for 400 yards in the win over, over Minnesota. Four touchdowns, three passing, one rushing. He's averaging 370 total yards. Their defense is a mess. He, Kyler Murray's completing 73% of his passes. He is fantastic. Jacksonville, by the way, you know, they're only going to the air. They, they have the most, seventh most passing yards per game, the sixth highest yards per attempt. So they're going to the air, going to the air, going to the air, but they only match 292 yards a total offense so far. That's a problem. They're minus five in the turnover ratio. They've only attempted 27 rushes from running backs in two games, Tim. Okay? Yeah. So from an X's and O's standpoint, the Jags are totally outmatched. Completely outmatched. But wait a minute. From a handicapper standpoint, I go, okay, this line opened up at eight and a half or nine. There's about 93% of the money is coming in on Arizona. It's down to seven and a half. Okay, you could find it at seven in some spots. Now, Jacksonville is at home. Trevor Lawrence will get better, guys. He's not going to be like this. Usually they say, you know, quarterbacks, game one, they're a little starstruck. Oh, man, you know, I'm here. I'm in the NFL. Week two, it's more of, okay, well, let's make those adjustments. Week three is when coaches usually start to trust them a little bit. Well, that would be this case. Arizona also has to fly into Jacksonville. That's not the easiest uh, you know, West Coast to East Coast play on the 1 o'clock game. There are things from a handicapper's perspective here that makes me go, you know, I don't get why this line is like this. To be honest with you, if Arizona, and, and only sports bettors will understand this philosophy, if Arizona was like an 11-point favorite, I'd feel good about Arizona. Arizona at 7.5-point favorite, I don't feel good about 
if that makes sense. It's really, you know, and I looked at it from the X's and O's standpoint, too. When you have uh, James Robinson, Tommy, who last year had a great season. You have a guy like Carlos Hyde who can eat up carries as well. Wouldn't you think that maybe run the clock knowing that if you let Kyler Murray out there and their quick-fire offense with Moore and Kirk and Max Williams even at the tight end situation, not even to mention DeAndre Hopkins, right? You want to kind of limit them on the field itself. You're going to have to eat the clock up, but through the first two games, you said it. They're not running the ball. They're trying to throw it, and maybe that's uh, not the right approach with Trevor Lawrence right now. You know, it's fine for his development, but it's not good for wins and losses, and that's a problem. If you ask a quarterback, a a rookie quarterback, or a coach about a rookie quarterback, you said, okay, you got your rookie quarterback, you got your franchise, you got your next guy, you know, here you go. You have him. What are you going to do next? Everyone's going to tell you, go get in a left tackle, right? Go get a left tackle to protect him. Go get an offensive line. um, And then go get a running game because we have to take the pressure off of him. Before any wide receivers, Jacksonville, unfortunately, the way their roster is made up, their offensive line isn't very good. They don't have a tight end for that outlet. They have no running game to speak of right now, but they have really good wide receivers. Well, the wide receivers don't help you if you're not getting any time. And by the way, the wide receivers are dropping balls all over the place. So I keep hearing the the narrative this week. Trevor Lawrence is a bust and, you know, Urban Meyer is going to ruin him. And guys, it's two weeks. I'm still in the camp here, Tim, that Trevor Lawrence is going to be an unbelievable quarterback. I am still in the camp that he could turn this thing around. I'm still in that camp. I don't know if it happens this week. But it would be a completely different narrative from Trevor Lawrence the bust than if they go out as a, just slightly over a touchdown underdog to Arizona and go out there and, and beat Arizona. That narrative would change in a heartbeat. So when you're looking at media and you're looking at narratives, just realize how quickly things can change. I don't think it's alarming if Jacksonville beats Arizona at home. AFC South, you, you mentioned at the beginning of the segment. Indianapolis, Tennessee, the rivalry continues. The, this one in, in Nashville, Tennessee coming off a come-from-behind win against Seattle last week on the road to even their record at 1-1. One one. They're a five-and-a-half-point favorite, Tom, over Indianapolis, 0-2, and two, although a spirited loss against the Rams last week. And I just read as a few hours ago, it looks like Carson Wentz is a go for the Colts. Yeah, it does. And look, the road team has won the last five matchups, right? These teams have split the last eight meetings. So this is a a more competitive game than I think people give them credit for. If the Colts would have hung on last week, and they should have won that game against the Rams, okay? Even Rams fans will tell you that. If the Colts would have held on, I think we would be looking at this completely different. What you need to remember is that the first couple of weeks, Quentin Nelson has been out. They're number one. Uh, offensive lineman. Eric Fisher was out. Their number two offensive lineman. They both came back last week. You could see that, that they weren't 100%. Now they're going to be 100%. That is the strength of the team. Jonathan Taylor, by the way, is getting all kinds of running room. He's running effectively. He's running good. He's just not punching the ball in the end zone. That's going to change. The Colts are only averaging 20 points per game. That's ranked 25th in the league. That's going to change. And you just look at under... Uh, Frank Reich, right? In 2018, 67% conversion rate in the red zone. 2019, 64%. 2020, 57. This year, 33. 
So that number is going to get up to, you know, mid 50s, at least potentially into the 60s. So that is going to switch. You also look at, you know, the defense and the defense with Leonard. They held the Rams down to three and a half yards per carry. And I know the Rams are banged up, but that's still very, very, very good. Um, the run game is working. You know, I, I keep hearing, especially in the fantasy circles, people go, ah, oh, Jonathan Taylor. They're ranked 16th. That's right in the middle of the pack. Okay, they're ranked 16th. They have 111 yards per game. That's fine. This isn't about Carson Wentz. This isn't about the running game. This isn't about the defense. Okay, this is all about one thing. Can Tennessee stop anyone? I have no doubt the Colts will play good defense. Okay, I have no doubt that Tennessee's going to play some good offense, and that's going to be an awesome battle. But can Tennessee stop anyone? Right? We all look and marvel at what Derrick Henry did and how he had to take this team back. But did anybody forget the first three and a half quarters where Tennessee's defense again was humiliated? Or Tennessee in week one where their defense again was humiliated? And I told you guys before the year, I don't like Tennessee. I don't think they win the division. I don't think they go into the playoffs. Because last year they had the 24th ranked defense in the NFL and did nothing, nothing to address it. Tim, if the Colts get mediocre play from Carson Wentz, they win this game. Tennessee giving up well over 30 points a game, and I think maybe there's an overreaction as well. Not so much in Carson Wentz. I think it played into it, but the last thing people remember and when you go to the window is Derrick Henry putting up 184 yards in that game, but two were breakaway touchdowns. Cold defense a little bit better than the Seattle defense, in my opinion. Yeah, I mean, Seattle defense is terrible. Colts defense, they're very formidable. I mean, look, they have the best middle linebacker, and that's hard for me to say because I'm a Roquan Smith guy. They got the best middle linebacker in the game right now, Um, and he's the highest paid guy. They have two young corners that are playing really well. This is all about, look, if this was a pick game, I don't think I could do it, okay? You're giving me five and a half points, division game, backs up against the wall, trying to avoid 0-3 against a bad defense. The numbers just make sense to him. Let's go to Detroit, Tom, where the Baltimore Ravens enter this game. Seven and a half point favorites coming off a huge Sunday night football victory over Kansas City. The Lions 0-2, embarrassed Monday night by the Packers. Seven and a half. We both like the Ravens. Can they get the win by the by the spread, though? You know, again, this is the same kind of thing that we just talked about Fresno State, um, where th- there's only the letdown factor that's keeping me away from this. Ravens at six and one against the spread the last seven games as a, as a favorite. Eight and two against the spread their last ten overall. They just beat the Chiefs. The Ravens are eleven and five against the spread their last sixteen road games. Okay, they win these kind of games. Detroit, by the way, three and seven against the spread as an underdog of seven or more points. They don't cover. The Ravens are fourteen and one. In their last 15 games against teams with a losing record, their average margin of victory is 18. They destroy teams they're supposed to destroy. Okay? That's what they do. They destroy them. They should destroy this team. The one thing that's keeping me away from Baltimore, Tim, the one and only thing that's keeping me away from Baltimore is simply, look, they're coming off of the biggest win potentially in Lamar Jackson's career, right? From an emotional standpoint, if Lamar Jackson loses this game, the book is closed on Lamar against Mahomes. And their Super Bowl path almost gets done because you're like, ah, we, we're just never going to beat Kansas City. This was on national TV. It's the biggest opponent that you have. They win in there. It, it's a just a 
tough situation. Short week, you know, a little bit short of a week. Going on the road against a team you're supposed to destroy off of your biggest emotional win. That's the only thing that Detroit has going for it here because the Ravens should destroy them. You had said if Kansas City wins that football game, back the Brinks truck up, Tommy's coming to Vegas to load it up on the Ravens. What would the line differential have been had they lost last Sunday night? I don't think it would have been that much different. I think it would have been seven. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't think it would have been that much different because you would have two narratives. It depends on how they lost. You know, the narrative of, oh, they're all, they're all banged up and they can't win would have been one narrative. Or if it was, oh, they played a close game. You know, then people wouldn't have the line would have been fairly the same, and you you got to remember that the Ravens would have been a, a bounce back candidate at zero and two. Right, the mental stat status would have been a different approach coming into the football game. Right, so uh, yeah, I mean, I was going going to go crazy for the Ravens here if they had lost that game. There's no way they were going zero and three, not against the Lions. They were taking their frustrations out. This is the game where the other way, the emotion the other way kind of just plays a role. And you just, you look at it and you go, yeah, you know, I could see a little bit of a letdown. I could see them being down, you know, 10 3 at the end of the half, uh, at the end of the first quarter. You know, I could see them being down, uh, you know, 14 to 10 at the half. And, you know, making a comeback, winning the game. But I could see them coming out of the locker room a little lethargic here. Let's keep in mind, Lion fans, 38 points a game is what you're giving up, and you're down your top two cornerbacks. Tom, maybe maybe uh, Lamar will, will get some, some target practice in here rather than running the ball. Interesting stat for you. It's now been uh, 10 straight games that uh, uh, Marquise Brown has had either 80 yards or a touchdown. He's becoming a pretty reliable receiver. I noticed you picked him up in one of our fantasy leagues, Tom. Yeah, well, you know, you start uncovering these stats. I got to go grab the guy. Yeah, I, I don't blame you. I don't blame 80 you. 80 yards of a touchdown every game. <laughs> Done. Orchard Park, Washington. Ron Rivera and the football team come into Buffalo, take on the Bills. We're off a big 35 nothing spanking of Miami on the road. So back home, touchdown favorite against Washington, Tom. I know both we look kind of looked at Washington initially, but we both backed off that one pretty quickly. Yeah, look, the Bills are struggling right now. Josh Allen doesn't look the same. <clears throat> he, he's got all kinds of problems. Josh Allen on 15-plus air yards in 2020, he was 49 of 101. That's for 48.5%. This year, he's 417 at 23.5%. He's completing just 33% of, percent of his passes between 10 and uh, 25 yards last year, 62 and a half. He doesn't look good. And all these numbers are to say Josh Allen looks like the 2018-2019 Josh Allen, not the 2020 Josh Allen, right? Um, you look at this and you go, do you really believe that Zach Moss and Devin Singletary could run the ball effectively again? Washington has 10 days off. Washington has 10 days off to kind of get things right. You look at, at this situation, but wait a minute. Hold on a second. Buffalo has allowed the NFL's second-fewest passing yards, okay? But they face the ninth-most passing attempts. That means Buffalo's defense is playing really, really good. And you have Taylor Heineke off of a, a you know a start where he su- was supposed to win going on the road in Orchard Park. The one thing for Washington is I think their defense is a lot better than they've showed. They've not allowed a 100-yard rusher in 15 straight games now. You watch Daniel Jones kind of rip them apart, so that's automatically people going, well, Josh Allen's going to do it. It doesn't correlate like that all the time. I think the Bills win this game, but I think it's an inflated line. 
total is right around 46, maybe a shade under. You know, I, the, originally I said, I don't care what the number is, I'm going over in that game mm-hmm. um, because I don't like what Washington's defense did. But I went back and I watched that giant game. I don't think Washington's defense was playing that poorly. They got caught out of position two or three times, but I don't think they're, they're playing that poorly where it's it's a, a an over. So I, I looked over, Tim. I know it makes sense to go under, but I looked over just because I wonder if Washington's defense, you know, maybe they're not that good. And if they're if they're not a top ten defense, all of a sudden this team gives short fields. Taylor Haneke is going to make mistakes, and I can see Josh Allen putting up thirty. Gibson, status on Gibson. Gibson's a guy I, I kind of like the prop play of over fifty-seven yards, which is out there right now, rushing yeah. yards. He's getting plenty of carries. Um, he's getting the carries. He's getting the workload. He's on the field more than anybody else. He just doesn't. They, they still don't trust him catching the ball out of backfield, which is weird because he's a converted wide receiver, so it doesn't make any sense. But that's why McKissick is getting all these carries. I think they're going to be fine back there. Uh, Antonio Gibson is a guy that he's trying to still learn how to be a running back in the NFL. And he's massively talented. But when you're still trying to learn how to be something, that means you're not it right now. right? I mean, you're not that thing. Well, he's not that thing, and he's still trying to become it. I think he's going to be fine. Touchdowns will come. You're going to see a big burst soon. I just don't know if it's going to be up against this Buffalo defense. Washington, a work in progress, Tom, with Ron Rivera now in year two. When you look at them, though, McLaurin obviously on number one. Uh, Logan Thomas becoming a very good tight end. I think the problem in there is that when you have an Adam Humphreys as your number two guy, that's that's the problem with them. And I think that's going to be a, a big problem the rest of the season is they just don't have a solid number two receiver. Well, that's the Samuel injury, though. Remember, they went out and got Samuel, but he's been injured. He hasn't been able to stew it up, Tim. Mm-hmm. I think when Samuel comes back, that's going to change. I, I, I do. I think I think he's a fine number two. If he comes back and he comes back to the as the receiver that we remember him being, possibly some in-season division odds on Washington, Tom. Listen, I, I liked them before the year, and I'll like them if they go down and lose this game. The odds should be incredible. I will definitely take a stab because I am not impressed with the Giants. I'm not impressed with Philly, and, and you know Dallas is still Dallas. <laughs> okay, <laughs> you know right. what I mean. So right. yeah, I, if I can get them. I got him before the year, just about two to one. If I can get him, you know, three to one, four to one, I'll be I'll be dipping back in. Yeah, I agree. A loss here and a Dallas win, I think the odds open up in your favor. And remember, two of the last uh, four games, I, I think two of the last four or two of the last five games of the season, Dallas plays Washington. So yeah. they're going to have an opportunity. If they're close, they're going to have an opportunity to win this and steal it. Let's sneak one more in before the top of the hour. New Orleans, the Saints, uh, team without a home still heading to Bill Belichick land, Tom, New England. Nice win last week for the Pats. Three-point favorite at home. Did I lose you, Tim? No, I'm here. I'm here. Did, okay. you, did you hear that? Uh, sorry, sorry. It, went, it went dead for a second. So, it, look, we went from Jameis Winston in week one, all of a sudden getting uh, MVP talk to now, well, it might be Taysom Hill's team, right? I mean, you know, that's where we went. I, I like what Mac Jones is doing. You know, people are looking at Mac Jones and they're going, okay, he's the game manager. Well, that's fine. 
it's okay to be a game manager. Not everybody has to be a fantasy stud, and, and Mac Jones is kind of that guy right now. He's doing just just enough. Everything's okay. And while all the talk is on Mac Jones, Tim, you know what I like? I like the fact that James White is back into the equation, and he's putting up a really good early season number. I like the way that uh, Damian Harris is running the ball. He looks fantastic running the ball. I like their running game, and I like the fact that their defense that Belichick invested so heavily into for the last couple of years finally is turning the corner, and they really, really are looking very good. To me, the Saints are in a tough spot. This is effectively their third straight road game, right? Because you look at the Saints, and uh, the, you know because of the, the hurricanes and everything, they had to go and play in Jacksonville for the first game. So this is a team that for a month now have been living in hotels, they're sitting there, they're missing their families, their wives. They, they, two straight road games, you look at an NFL team, you go, oh, on the road, two games in a row. That's always a good spot to play against. But this is three games in a row, and they know they're going home. This is a tough spot against a, look, Winston makes mistakes against a defensive genius that he's going to make Winston make mistakes. You're going to see at least two interceptions tomorrow from Jameis Winston. Now, I think the Saints are a more talented roster. I think the Saints can certainly win this game, but it's these outside factors that you have to include when you're talking about who's going to win this game. I think it all points to New England just because, look, the Saints have just been dealing with so much, man. Dealing with so much and Kamara, slow start. Uh, well, I think we all knew that. Alvin mm -hmm. Kamara is not the same player when he's got a quarterback that doesn't know how to effectively use him. And right now, Jameis Winston doesn't know how to effectively use Alvin Kamara. And you also have to think about the in, the, in terms of defenses. If you're playing the Saints tomorrow, Tim, who, who are you stopping? <laughs> right? Yeah. Are you stopping Marquez Calloway or are you stopping Alvin Kamara? And, and that's where it comes down to. They have no tight end. They have no deep receiver. They have no underneath receiver. It's all Kamara. Take Kamara out of the game plan. And that's what Belichick's going to do. Belichick always takes away your number one guy and makes you beat him with your number two. And he shuts guys down, okay? Completely shuts guys down. Kamara's going to have an awful game tomorrow because they are going to shut him down and dare Jameis Winston to find other people to play. Uh, you know, find somebody else. If you get beat by Marquez Callaway tomorrow, Belichick will be able to sleep at night. So, you know, the only thing that I could say here, Tim, and this is why I, I didn't give this game to my clients, because as you can hear, I'm all over New England. I didn't give this game to my clients for one reason. Next week, Brady comes to town. Now, Belichick is the greatest that we've ever seen. But Brady, uh, but Belichick, still human, right, Tim? He's still human. And he's still got to be thinking, Brady's coming to town. I don't want to call it a, a look ahead for the team, but if I'm banking on Belichick being at his best and beating Sean Payton, and I am keep saying Belichick's going to do this, and Belichick, I'm not banking on the players. I'm banking, banking on the scheme and the coach. Well, if that coach is a little distracted, which he might be this week, then I have a hard time betting on it. I'm with you. I like the bats as well tomorrow, and I think the slow approach is the right approach with Mac Jones. You surrounded him with – he's got Tommy – and we got three minutes for the top of the hour. He's got five potential targets every down he can go to in the air. I mean, it's just a, it's a good system and it's a smart system. Let's get let's ease him in there and not put the pressure on him. I think Mac Jones has uh, the the chance to be a very good quarterback. 
Um, I don't think Mac Jones has the opportunity or, or doesn't have the skills to be an MVP. I don't think he's winning being an MVP, but I think he could lift a Lombardi. And that there are different quarterbacks like that, right? I mean, there are different guys like that. I think Joe Burrow can win an MVP in this league. I don't think Joe Burrow's ever lifting a Lombardi trophy. There are different players. I think Lamar Jackson is a guy that has already got an MVP. I could see him winning another one. I don't think Lamar Jackson's ever winning, uh, lifting a Lombardi. There are players for systems, players that work out, and then they are just massively talented. Mac Jones is a guy that I could see winning a championship. Just don't think he's an MVP. So stop asking him to be. And it seems like people that knock him want him to be something that he's not. Tom, Joe Flacco won a Lombardi, didn't win an MVP. Yeah, absolutely. Heatwave Sports, Tom Barton, Tim Unglesby, Hour 1 in the books. Of course, coming up in Hour 2, more Week 3 NFL games, including here in Vegas. The Raiders look to go 3-0 and as they welcome in the Dolphins. We'll break that down for you next in Hour number 2, Heatwave Sports, Fox Sports Radio. With the local team here in Las Vegas, the Raiders, Tom, 2-0 and wins over Baltimore at home, Pittsburgh on the road last week, and they welcome in a... Dolphin team that is one and one embarrassed last week at home against Buffalo. Jacoby Brissett will get the nod at quarterback for the Dolphins. And and I have I have late breaking news here, Tom. This is this may not affect the spread or the analysis of the game, but this is late breaking news that I'm gonna be at that game tomorrow. Just got the word. Ah, that's nice. That could be a good game. I don't know uh if the Raiders fans are gonna enjoy it as much as you would. Hey, <laughs> <laughs> and, and that's the thing, listen. Here's another weird spread, right? Raiders are, are dominating people. They're 2-0 against the spread. Derek Carr is averaging over 400 yards passing over his first two games. Vegas is also 4-1 against the spread the last five games following a straight-up win. They're doing great, right? I mean, it's it, Vegas is, is rolling. But Miami plays a style that frustrates the way that Vegas try, tries to play. And I don't think Jacoby Brissett is going to, to stop that, right? What Miami does is they play... Big-time defense. They drain the clock. They're going to run the ball. They're going to take the short passes, um, you know, to waddle. And, and now, all of a sudden, you get Will Fuller back that can extend the play and can go deep. Miami is an interesting player. And Derek Carr throws a lot of balls that he kind of tempts teams. Miami probably has the best defensive backs. They certainly have the best two corners, but they probably have the best defensive backs in the league. This is all about defense. Brian Flores knows i got to play defense, defense, defense. And I want to tell Raiders fans, look, not to uh, just completely bash it here, but everyone's going, well, yeah, they're going to the playoffs. Oh, here it is. Oh, we got a shot at the division. The Raiders started 2019 six and four. They finished seven and nine. They started last year six and three. They finished eight and eight. So this is a team that you can start to see a pattern. John Gruden gets those offseason reports. He does a lot of homework. He gets this team ready coming into the the first game. Here we go. That first month and a half or or two months of the season, they look really good. He's coaching them up. And then as the league starts to adjust, Gruden and his team start to lose. And and I'm not telling you that it definitely will happen this year, but you start to see a pattern. Two years in a row makes me a little bit nervous about the Raiders here. My thing with Miami was, and again, I know – some of my friends just give me the business about I'm just looking for ways to not be a Raider fan. It's not happening. I'm not going to be a Raider fan, but I'll give you what I see in this as far as week to week. And what I see in this one matchup, Tom, is that 
the line is three and a half, four, right? You would think, where's the adjustment for Tua being out? And I think it was already factored into the initial spread that they kind of knew he wasn't going to be in the game. And now we find out he's going to miss almost a month of time. So looking at it from the Miami point of view, and, and you just said some of the same things about Frank Reich and the Colts and, and the, the early statistics. The Dolphins aren't going to score nine points a game the rest of the year, right, Tom? The Dolphins aren't going to be at the bottom offensively if, if not only rushing and passing the rest of the year. Those are going to get better. And why not, have, why not start this week with a quarterback who knows he's the guy for the next month with a rushing attack that hasn't been able to establish itself in between Brown and Gaskin? And like you said, a full, healthy complement of receivers. This, this could completely be a matchup where, uh, not, not necessarily saying, Tom, that the Raiders are looking ahead or looking past Miami, but those two wins they, they got uh, they felt they felt great about. There is a divisional matchup next week that they have to travel to play the Chargers. So maybe a look ahead, or maybe just not taking Miami for what they're worth. Well, Tim, let, let's just talk for a minute about the offense. I, I want to stay here for a second. The first two weeks you had. Tua, who there are questions about him being an NFL starter at this point. I think that's a fair assessment, right? Mm-hmm. So you have a quarterback with questionable uh, you know, knowledge of the league. And questions are, I don't know if he can be a starting quarterback in the league. He's got a rookie receiver, is his number one target, who's playing his first and second games ever. And he then has, you know, he's missing his number one receiver in Will Fuller. Or... Do you feel more comfortable with Jacoby Brissett, who has won a lot of games in this league, has looked very good in doing so in some of those games. You get a number one legitimate top 25 receiver back in the league. And Jalen Waddell, your receiver, who's looked good and he's your rookie, is now three games in and comfortable with the playbook. What offense do you think is going to be better, Tim? Right? I mean, it's clearly going to be this week's offense. The Miami Dolphins, I think they knew. I think if you were being honest with yourself, you knew they're going to get off to a rough start. You know, Buffalo is a, a potential Super Bowl team. They were, this, this team was going to get off to a rough start. They were going to go up against New England. New England's defense is fantastic. So you're, you're turning around and you're basing things on first two weeks as opposed to what was Miami going to do. You looked at Miami's schedule. I said, listen, if they get out one and one out of their first two games, it's a, it's a success. I think they're going to have a lot of offensive problems until Waddle kind of gets into the groove, until their number one receiver, Will Fuller, gets into the groove. And, and I think we still got to see about Tua. Now we're in week three. All of those questions are not there anymore. So it is a tough road game. It is against a team that is scoring like crazy and Derek Carr. But Derek Carr is, is a guy where you go, well, look at what he did against Pittsburgh's defense. He's going up against a different kind of defense in in Miami. I'm not saying they're better, but they're different. In Pittsburgh, it's all about the pass rush. Everything feeds off of getting to the quarterback, pass rush, pass rush, pass rush. It's all about that. So if the Vegas offensive line, like it did last week, holds up, well, they're going to be able to pick the guys apart. Miami doesn't do that. Miami relies upon, hey, we have two outstanding corners. We have great defensive backs. So we don't have to blitz. We don't have to rush. We're, we're betting that our guys are better than your guys. And as good as guys like Ruggs has looked, do you trust him against Xavier Howard? <laughs> right? Because I don't. So are they going to work the middle of the field? Well, Miami's linebackers are pretty fantastic. Excellent. And, uh, also, so it's a 
it's a different kind of matchup. I hear so many people this week go, look at what we did to Pittsburgh's defense. And Pittsburgh's defense is better than Miami. You're right, but it's a different type of defense. The defensive schemes are not exactly the same. And think about this, right, Tom? With where's the money going? Everybody that I know is on the Raiders, and we've seen that time and time again. Sometimes you just look, the books need Miami to to uh, cover this game. We already know that. Yeah, massively, too. And tomorrow will be even more. That late Vegas money, you know it's coming pouring in. Oh, especially with the game being here. Stop at the book and walk over to the game, right? I mean, there's going to be... Hey, why not throw 100 bucks on it, right? Oh, yeah. I paid, yeah, paid $1,000 for the tickets. Might as well throw 1000 on the game, and I'll make yeah. my money back. Raiders, straight bet. Raiders and over parlay. Uh, Raiders, it's, it's... Yes, that's exactly what's going to happen tomorrow. Everyone's going to try to get their ticket money back. Battle of the Uglies in this one, Tom. 0-2 Atlanta, 0-2 the Giants, and Daniel Jones and the G-Men, three-point favorite at home. Yeah, this is Battle of the Uglies, but I'll tell you what, it, it's more ugly than we were even giving it credit for, right? I mean, as ugly as we think it is, it's actually uglier. Saquon Barkley, I wrote an article uh, in, in week one, not to expect much out of Saquon Barkley until week three. Here's his week, okay? I didn't expect much out of him. He's coming back from an ACL. ACL injuries and the injuries that he had, which was was multiple different kind of structural things, they usually take 12 months to come back, okay? He was coming back in about 10 months and three weeks, so cutting it close. The New York Giants are playing their third game here in 14 days because the way the schedule is with Thursday night, that's a lot. It's a lot of games in a 14-game span. So if you got a guy coming back from off an injury, by the way, his injury reoccurrence is 28% to reoccur. So you know this. He's your franchise guy. He's everything. You're going to ease his load in week one and week two and watch him explode in week three. Well, what better opponent than the Atlanta Falcons? Okay, Atlanta has looked dreadful on defense. And that's saying something because Atlanta's always looked bad on defense. But here's the thing. The Giants are getting a lot from Daniel Jones. Do we expect this to continue? Do we expect Daniel Jones to keep lighting the scoreboard like this you know i think that we can say i think they're still going to score some points but he's going to make mistakes and he hasn't been making those kind of mistakes on the other side giants defense is littered with guys that can make plays but they just haven't made plays right i mean we know the falcons let up 80 points and two losses that's ridiculous but matt ryan put 25 up against this tampa bay defense last week that was kind of impressive the atlanta falcons you know you look at they're going up against new york the Giants have allowed the eighth most rushing yards. So if Mike Davis could get things going, open it up for Pitts, open it up for Ridley. I can see Matt Ryan having a decent day here as well. To me, this is a game that you don't go near, but I see everybody loading up on the Giants and the line opened up at three. It's at three and a half in a lot of spots. Everyone's kind of on the Giants and I'm going, I don't think I can take Atlanta on the road, but I'm certainly not laying more than a field goal with the Giants. No way. I know this one's going to be on the boob tube for you tomorrow, Tom. Chicago, 1-1 one one in Cleveland to take on the Browns. Also 1-1, one one, the Brownies, 7.5-point favorites. The Bears get their first win last week. And we know that Josh Fields, Tom, the quarterback, now for the Bears. I think I can confidently say, I was trying to think how I can express how excited I am for this game. And I started by saying to myself, you know, I could say, 
this is the most exciting I've ever been for a Bears game in the first month of the season. I said, nah, it's not expressing it the right way. All right. Is this the most excited I've been for a Bears game in the first, uh, you know, uh, half of a season? That's still not expressed. That's still not good enough, Tim. This is the most excited I've been for a Bears game outside of a December or January game in my in my life. I am so pumped up. And I'm not expecting Justin Fields to be the savior and the chosen one right away. But I think he is the guy, okay? And I think he's got the skills that even in a loss, if they do go down... Like like last week, look, he made mistakes. He, you, you saw those flashes, and I don't want to compare him to Patrick Mahomes. Uh, so let's calm down here. But I got a friend that lives uh, he lives over in Singapore, right? And he calls me up all the time. He's the biggest Chiefs fan that I that I know. And when Matt, Patrick Mahomes came out, he asked me, "What do you think of this guy?" And I said, "Man, you know, he's got a lot of talent. I, I don't know if he's ever going to put it together, but he's got a lot of talent." He would call me after preseason games, and he would go. You have no idea the things that this guy this guy did. It's unbelievable. And I said, you want him to start over Alex Smith? He's like, I would start him right now. I said, but Alex Smith took him to the play. Just the things that he does, is just it's unbelievable. I have that same kind of enthusiasm here for Justin Fields, where I'm watching the things that he does wrong, and I'm going, I don't care because the things that he does right is just things that, that a human's not supposed to do in a football field. He's fantastic in that way. With all that said, Tim, Bradley Chubb, uh, last week was the first time that Bradley Chubb and Miles Garrett played on the same field together in, in you know, like a year and a half or whatever it was. Um, uh, uh, not Bradley Chubb. Uh, I'm forgetting the guy's name. But Cleveland's defense is getting back together, okay? They are a lot better than what they've shown. Johnson is finally starting to kind of get into the fold. You saw him in the fourth quarter last week really kind of start to get into it. You got, are bringing back Odell Beckham. Uh, that adds another element. I think the Bears have a lot to go up against. And the only thing that you can say is, so far, Cleveland's defense hasn't looked very good. And the Chicago Bears are going to need Justin Fields to be extraordinarily good. There is the percentage here, though, <laughs> right, that he might be. We've watched guys like Justin Herbert and Patrick Mahomes. Uh, we've watched them jump onto the scene, you know, the first start they've had, and just look fantastic. You don't have to go any further than even Jalen Hurts. Look fantastic at times. They're going to need almost a perfect game out of Justin Fields. I think it's a lot to ask him to go on the road to win this game, but I think he can do it. I think he's that special of a talent. AFC North, Tom. Nice rivalry matchup here. Bengals-Steelers, both teams 1-1. One and one. This game will be in Pittsburgh, and the Steelers a field goal favorite. Big Ben will play. Deontay Johnson will not. Steelers have struggled, right? And there's no doubt about that. They struggled in the first two weeks. They did get a, a come-from-behind win in week one against Buffalo and the Bengals. I mean, you kind of know what the Bengals are going to do here. They're going to try to score, Tom. All right, let's go anti-Pittsburgh for a moment, okay? Uh, Pittsburgh's without T.J. Watt, clearly their best defensive player. They lost uh, Ilulu, clearly their best run-stopping defensive player. They're still out Devin Bush, their big-time middle linebacker. Now they're out Deontay Johnson. They cannot run the ball. They've run the ball for 114 yards. Last year, in the first two games, they ran for 250 yards, and people complained they couldn't have a running game, just to give you an idea. Out of 72 passes that Ben's attempted, less than five have been over the middle. He doesn't trust his arm over the middle, so he's playing everything to the outside. Pittsburgh can't run. They're banged up. They got no defense. Big Ben doesn't even look like he feels confident in himself. 
That's the anti-Pittsburgh thing. The anti-Cincinnati thing is very easy. They haven't won here since 2015. It's a road game. It's a road game where Cincinnati just gave the, the ball away on four consecutive possessions, right? And three straight picks by Joe Burrow. He's got a lot of talent, man. A lot of talent. But the Bears made him look silly and made this offense look silly. Uh, T. Higgins is banged up for this one. They don't know if he's going to be a full go. Even if he is a go and he's able to suit up, they don't know how effective he's going to be. This is a clear. Uh, this is a Cincinnati team that has to have everything clicking the right way to go on the road in division and win games against Cleveland, against the Ravens, and against the Steelers. They have to, and they don't. So as much as everyone's talking about the Steelers' injuries and Steelers' problems and Steelers this and that, they're still well-coached. They have the coaching advantage. They're still at home. They have the home field advantage. And they're still in a spot where they can fix their season still. Cincinnati's going, oh, man, Joe Burrow might be talented, but he looked terrible last week. How do we fix it? So I think a lot of people are on Cincinnati, and it makes sense. I'm going to stay away, though. I like Pittsburgh. I like Tomlin bounce back here. You, we always talk about coaches and adjustments. I think Tomlin's another guy, obviously, by the length of time he's been there, that you know when they lose, there's adjustments made. They rarely lose two in a row, Tom. They rarely lose two in a row at home, and they never lose to the Bengals, right? You said that. Plus, Burrow, I know there's injuries on the defensive side of the ball for the Steelers. That offensive line can't protect him still. It's better than last year so far, but he's still being rushed and hurried and hit. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing. If T.J. Watts in this game, I love Pittsburgh, okay? Now, I'm not going to go near it because there are a lot of injuries, but it's still a defense that should be able to get in his face. And, and like you said, I think he's the third most sacked quarterback right now in the NFL. That's terrible after what happened to him last year. You would assume that they would go out and do something like, oh, I don't know, Tim maybe draft Penny Sewell, right? <laughs> yeah, you would do something like that. But they didn't do that. They went out and they got a, a, a wide receiver, and now you're dealing with them going out and getting a wide receiver. Yeah. Chargers in Kansas City to take on the Chiefs. Here's another one that we both looked at previous to the Sunday night game. Casey ends up losing in the fourth quarter to Baltimore. So the spread is a touchdown. Chiefs, Chargers, Tom. Mahomes versus... Mr. Herbert. You know, I, this was one of those games, Tim, that during last week, I sat around and I said, all right, <laughs> right? Me and you talked about it. I said, okay, I'm going Chiefs next week. I'm going Chiefs. I think they come back from a, a loss. Patrick Mahomes threw his first interception ever in September. The Chiefs have never lost in September with Patrick Mahomes. But then I started to do some digging. I said, you know, they're 0-2 against the spread to start the year. Okay. Well, that, that's not exactly ideal, right? Um, but wait a minute. Actually, Kansas City is the worst against the spread team over the last year. They've only covered four games since last October. So they are an overvalued team that consistently loses betters money. With that respect, the Chiefs are also 1-9 against the spread in the last 10 regular season games. This is not a, a small streak, right? Kansas City wins games. They don't cover spreads. I think it's a reasonable spread. You're asking them to cover a touchdown. But Justin Herbert has looked fantastic. Thrown for 300 yards both of his games. And had the penalties been there, not been there, he would have had a fantastic day last week. Don't, don't take away that they didn't score that much. He was having a great day. It just wound up not working out. The Chargers were flagged 12 times for 99 yards, Tim. That's incredible, right? 
they gave up 25 first downs, seven yards per, per play, and the Cowboys converted six to 10 on third downs. Um, the defense has got to shape up here. They've got to shape up because Dak Prescott didn't look good, and they still wound up winning that game. The Chargers, by the way, um, they are pretty bad right now in the red zone. I think that has to adjust. They've been in the red zone, red zone 10 times in two games, right? They've come away with a touchdown only three times. So only 30% in the red zone. You want to be at 50%, 60%. Justin Herbert's only 8 of 16 inside the red zone at, at throws. Last year, he was 75%. So the Chargers rank 31st in red zone offense right now. That is a problem. So while I wanted to go with the Chiefs, and I, and I, you know, look, there's a lot of ammunition to go with the Chiefs. Revenge game, back at home, um, you know, the red zone problems. I don't exactly look at those red zone problems and I go, oh, wait, wait, you know, this is this is a reason to take it. I, I go the other way and I go, last year Justin Herbert was throwing 75% of his passes inside the red zone and completing them. Uh, that's a longer you know, graph than the short two weeks. I think he readjusts inside the red zone this week. I think he really steps his game up inside the red zone. And I think that you see the Chargers keep this one close. I cannot say that they're going to win because the Chiefs win, but they don't cover. I don't think they're going to win, but I can see it being a three-point game. The Chargers remind you of Kansas City a lot, just a, a, a younger version, right, Tom? Maybe maybe um, definitely in the quarterback situation, Mahomes is by far is the guy right now where Herbert's coming. Eckler, I think, is definitely better than Edwards Hilaire. The receiving core, I love Williams and Allen a lot, but Kelsey and Hill and, and Hardman or whoever the, the fourth guy you want to throw in there, I give them the advantage, and, and I give the advantage on the defensive side to KC. Coaching, I give the advantage to KC as well, but I think Chargers are like a tight end away, a good tight end away and a few more defensive adjustments from being right there. What shocks me is that the Chargers' defense doesn't look good this year. You have a team with Derwin James coming back and Joey Bosa. You should be looking a lot better than they do. And I know they got middle linebacker problems, outside linebacker problems overall, uh, linebacker problems. I, I get that, and they can't cover the receiver, and, and tight ends should have a field day against them and, and slot receivers and all that. But, Tim, this defense should not be this bad. They should be a lot better. And tomorrow, I think that's going to be a huge key if Joey Bosa can get after Mahomes. We watched him have problems in the Super Bowl, right? you got to get after Mahomes. And it's kind of all on Joey Bosa. Any preference on the total? No, nah, I mean, it's it's the over or nothing just because you, you just can't take an under between Herbert and, and Mahomes. But you're seeing everyone skyrocket this it opened up at 54 it's up to 56 and a half in some spots i can't take a damn near 60 line and by the time we wake up tomorrow it might be 57 or so i can't take a near 60 line in the nfl you know at all um you look at what this number should be i know people going well you can get a 55 out there sure but it is rising this number should be just by their their metrics and everything else this number should be about 51. So it's six or seven points higher than it, it normally should. Well, why is that? Because <laughs> it's Mahomes and Herbert. Right. All right, time for our final timeout of the night. When we come back, yes, still more week three in the NFL, including that premier matchup tomorrow afternoon between Tom Brady and the L.A. Rams. We'll break that down for you. And, of course, the Sunday nighter and the Monday nighter this week as we are off tomorrow night. 
Stay tuned for that, as well as your free plays all on the other side of the break. Heatwave Sports, Fox Sports Radio. The big afternoon game tomorrow be in L.A. as the Rams host Tampa Bay, defending world champions, and Tom Brady, Mr. Magnificent. And I'm talking to my Tom, Tommy Barton. I know you're looking forward to this game as well as most of the country. Tampa, a small road favorite, one and a half. Yeah, well, they are now. <laughs> yeah. uh, this opened up as, as the Rams as a favorite, and those that were smart, you could have grabbed one and a half the other way, right, as the opening number. Most people got it at about one, but could have got it at, at, at that opening number. Now, not much of a chance for a middle, but just the value on this. You had to know that everybody was going to jump on Brady here, and I, I don't like being on that side, but look, Tim, it's hard to go against Brady in this spot. The last NFC team to beat him was last year, the Rams, and he didn't look good early in that game. Tom Brady has never played in L.A. He goes back to California where you know he was born, and there's a lot of that. He usually doesn't lose two games in a row. He's got a lot of revenge on him. Uh, you know, you look at the, the Rams before, well, let's stay with the Bucks here. They're 5-0 and against the spread the last five games as an underdog. Well, they're not quite an underdog anymore, so that goes out the window. You look at Brady and the Bucks, and you start to look at them struggling last year. Well, they struggled last year. But a lot of the parts that they had, Gronk wasn't up to speed. Brady admitted he wasn't up to speed with the playbook. I think a lot of those things are kind of fixed. The Bucks, by the way, they scored 30 more points in nine straight games. So they're gonna Rams got to score here. You start to look at um, the key matchups from last year. And Brady got pressured a little bit. Tristan Wirfs was a rookie last year. He is now not allowed a sack since week five of 2019. That's 719 consecutive pass-blocking snaps without a sack. That's a massive number, Tim. Now, I'm not telling you he's going to go out there and he's going to, you know, go out there and dominate an Aaron Donald, but I'm telling you that that is is a comfort that Tom Brady certainly has. The quick release helps as well. L.A., I get why everybody likes them. Right now, they're playing well. Their defense is, is good. Uh, you know, Matthew Stafford is the guy. Cooper Cup looks good. But there are some big, glaring problems here. Uh, big, glaring problems that I don't think you can avoid with the Rams. First of all, let's go back to game one, where Montgomery for the Bears ran all over this defense. He had no problem running on this defense. And you go, wait a minute. They let Andy Dalton, I know it was a 20-point win. Tim, they let Andy Dalton hang in that game for almost three quarters, right? I mean, the Bears weren't out of it. They let Andy Dalton hang in that game, and they got run all over. That's a problem. And then last week, they played the Colts. Jonathan Taylor had a pretty good running day. A bounce here or there and a, and a, you know, a mistake here or there. They're one and one. They should have lost that game to the Colts. And you can call it a gritty win or whatever you want. Look, they were favorites. They should have beaten the team, especially when Carson Wentz went down, and and they they barely got by. Those are alarming problems. The next one is that they are now on their third string running back, the third string running back that wasn't on the team uh, to begin August in Sony Michelle. He's going to lead the, the the rock here. That means that the Bucks defense going to be able to tee off. And then the final thing is this: while we all like him and we all respect him, and we all go. You know, Matt Stafford, oh, he's underrated, and he had to deal with Detroit, and he had no weapons, and he had bad coaching. That's all very true. But there is also the fact that, Tim, 
Matt Stafford doesn't win big games because he's not really in big games. This is going to be a massive test and a massive spotlight on Matt Stafford. I look at this game and I go, this is all about the running game, okay? The Bucs have problems running the ball, but the Rams have problems stopping the run. If the Bucs can get an effective run game here, they win this game. The Rams, by the way, are starting a third-string running back in Sonny Michelle. But if they can get something going on the ground, it'll open up things for Matt Stafford. This game, to me, is all about the running game. Who's able to establish that is going to win this one. Jones, Fournette, Bernard, whoever it is, right, Tom? They, they establish that, opens up the already explosive passing attack. And I don't care how good your defense is, you can't beat a team like that's loaded like Tampa Bay is. But Tampa's defense is just as good, in my opinion. And I think you're right. Stafford's going to have to prove that he can win a big-time, prime-time game. You know, you have to go with the trend, as we like to put it. And the trend is he just doesn't do it. No, and, you know, you also have to remember that, uh, you know, it's it's you could say it's a lot of pressure on Brady because they want to stay 17-0. They want to go for that. But really, is there any real pressure on Brady right now other than the Super Bowl? No. This is a test for Matt Stafford. Whether you want it to be or not, Rams fans, this is a test for him. Interesting game in Minnesota. The Vikings looking to avoid 0-3. and three. Welcome in Seattle 1-1. One and one. We talked about the breakdown last week at home for the Seahawks and losing that game to Tennessee. So here we go. Bad defense in Minnesota, but I know they're healthy, Tom. Healthy first time in, in since the season began. And the line is 2. Seattle 2-point favorite on the road. They're healthy on the defensive side. This is all about Dalvin Cook, who might miss tomorrow's game. That's a massive problem. That's a big-time problem, Tim. Uh, we watched what Derrick Henry did late in that game. Seattle had this game in hand, and Derrick Henry just decided to just absolutely take the game over. Dalvin Cook has the same ability. Dalvin Cook has the same kind of skills to just take this game over. Problem is, they're still not sure if Dalvin Cook is even going to play in this one. That is a worry spot. There's also another worry spot. That is that Russell Wilson has no problems against Mike Zimmer. He's 7-0 all-time against Mike Zimmer. He's 5-2 against the spread all-time against Mike Zimmer. They have gone back and forth, head-to-head, for a while here. And he's owned him in every aspect. I like Minnesota being at home. I like their defense playing better. And if Dalvin Cook was healthy, I would be all over Minnesota. When we did our Westgate contest picks, I said, Minnesota, right on my list. Oh, yeah, we're going Minnesota. But with the Dalvin Cook news, Tim, I'm pulling off. Russell Wilson always looks good at the beginning of the year. Tom, this is a you would think it's a definite play on Seattle, but you're right. It's it's the line doesn't set well with me. And now with the Cook situation, it really doesn't set well with me. Well, to to go to your point, if this means anything to you, the Seahawks are nine and two against the spread over the last eleven week three games. They they crush it early on in the season. They just do that. By the way, if you're looking for an angle, Vikings home games last year were seven zero and one to the over. Okay, fifty five the total, right? <laughs> can't do it. I can't go near that that giant uh, fifty five number, fifty five and a half at Fanduel. I know everybody's looking forward to Tampa. LA, I know it. I'm going to be watching it too, but Tom, I'm going to have the split screen up because I'm 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 liking this Jets Broncos game tomorrow, and I it's not because I think it's going to be a great football game. I like this. I'm I'm becoming this closet Bronco fan for whatever reason, and, and I know 
A lot of it has to do with the head coach there and the defense that he's bringing. I also kind of want to see if Zach Wilson can bounce back from just getting obliterated last week by Bill Belichick. Uh, four picks. And it's not – look, Fancio's awesome. He's no Belichick, but he's going to bring the heat as well. Can Zach Wilson bounce back from this? And the line is indicative of the Jets are, are a young team that's going to have growing pains. They, they have a rookie running back in Carter that hasn't been able to establish himself. Wilson's looked terrible. And Teddy Bridgewater on the other side of it is 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 being the man, the maybe the man that we've been waiting for him to be. Now that he doesn't have to worry about winning a job, right, Tom? This is his this is his team. Ten and a half points, Broncos, Jets. I see tens in some places. Tim, the job, uh, Jets offense has gotten only ten points in its average for the first two games. The defense for Denver have allowed only thirteen points. Von Miller already has three sacks. The New York Jets, who have a weak offensive line, lost their starting left tackle. So Becton is out. So Von Miller and this defense has only allowed 13 points. And Von Miller, who's got three sacks through two, two games, plays one of the worst offensive lines in the league, who now are also without their left tackle. This, this is rough. Teddy Bridgewater, by the way, he's 23-3 against the spread in 26 career road starts. That's from last week. But he's the gift that keeps on giving because he just consistently wins no matter where he is. Road, home, favorite, underdog. It doesn't matter. Teddy covers is Teddy covers. I mean, that's what he is right now. He is a, a better's best friend. Uh, it doesn't matter what the situation. This is an inflated line. It is inflated because the Jets are so bad. But what can you set this line at that would make you feel comfortable taking the Jets? It's got to be this high. You look yeah. at the Broncos. They're back home for the first time this season, which means it's going to be a loud environment. You have the, the crowd. You have the thin air. You have the road start for a rookie quarterback. A road start for a rookie quarterback going up against this defense. And, oh, by the way, missing your left tackle. Tim, it's just too big of a hill to climb here. This seems like a large line. It seems like it. It's probably going to be laughably not. It, you know, there's not a lot of times that I could say I'm looking at taking double digits. I hate double digit favorites in the NFL. I can't stand it. But everything is saying Denver here. The one thing that I will say is they are still without Jerry Judy. And I know Cortland Sutton had a huge game last last week, and I, I'm a big Sutton fan. Um, but Williams, their running back, came up a little gimpy. Uh, Cortland Sutton had a limited practice this week. The only thing that I could think, the only reason they don't cover the 10 is because there's some kind of injury. Let's just look at Denver real quick. By all means, they should be 3-0 come tomorrow night. And it's been against weaker competition, the Giants, the Jags, and now the Jets. So how good can Denver be, Tommy? Because the next stretch for the month of October, take a look at this. Three teams from the AFC North, they play Baltimore at home, Pittsburgh on the road, home against the Raiders, and then at Cleveland. Oh, by the way, I'm sorry, four, they play an extra, there's, there's five weeks in October. They get Washington after that. So we're really going to know here after week eight how good this Denver team is. I mean, look at their first early schedule. If I told you before the year that they were going to go 3-0, you're going to go, yeah, that's about right. I mean, you got the Jags yeah. and the Jets back-to-back, -back, right? They're going to look great. They're gonna, but it's the same thing to me. It's the same thing as the Raiders, okay? I looked at the Raiders and I looked at Denver as a full year, and I said, you know, in a 17-game season, I think they win eight games. They could win nine. And that might be the difference between the playoffs or not. I think Denver's in the same spot. Until Denver beats a team they're not supposed to, like the Raiders just beat Pittsburgh, 
then I can't take them serious for anything more than, hey, it's a nice season. Once they beat a team that they're you know not supposed to beat, they're an underdog, or it's a tough spot, or you know, or it's a division game. Maybe I'll start paying attention. But right now, Denver and the Raiders to me, Raiders have a little bit of an edge up, but I'm not making anything out of their 2-0 starts for either one of these teams. I still believe that both of these teams are about eight-win teams that might win nine. Could that game be week four home against Baltimore? They're, they're, they're going to get crushed in that week. They're, 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 I, I've already looked at that line, and you know that line is Baltimore minus one and a half. Yeah. Already, the advanced line. I love Baltimore in that spot. <laughs> now, again, it's two road games in a row. I, I, I get all that, and we have to see how the games play out. But, um, no, that, that would be the game. You go from the Jags to the Jets to the Ravens. Yeah, that's a little bit jump up in talent right there. Primetime games will start Sunday night. Green Bay, Frisco at San Francisco. The Niners a three-point favorite. Frisco's 2-0. and oh. Giants, uh, excuse me, Green Bay 1-1. One and one. Thoughts on this game, Tom? Everyone's going to talk about Aaron Rodgers going to San Francisco and how Kyle Shanahan kind of wanted him there and maybe he was going to go there. And, and let's talk about quarterbacks, right? Let's talk all we want about quarterbacks. And in the last two starts, Green Bay has been destroyed at Levi Stadium, right? The Niners won 37-8 uh, as a three-point favorite last year. Uh, the regular season two years ago, 37-20 to 20 as an eight-point favorite to the 2019 Conference Championship game. Talk quarterback, quarterback, quarterback is going to be the call. When's Trey Lance getting in there? Let's get Jimmy Garoppolo. How about this? How about forget about the quarterbacks for right now? Because the Packers have the league's lowest sack rate, and they're missing their biggest pass rusher. Green Bay is missing Desarius Smith. Uh, that's massive. They, they just don't get to the quarterback. So it doesn't matter who's back there. He's got all day to throw. They pressure Jared Goff on only 30% of his uh, passes, of his 39 dropback. They, they got only one sack on him. That is where they makeshift offensive line in Detroit, who they knew was going to throw the ball all day long. The Niners, they allow the least amount of pressure on their quarterback, highest percentage of open wide receivers in the NFL. So this is the problem here. If you're betting on you know Aaron Rodgers in prime time to go in there and all that, everyone's talking about Rodgers. Listen, I'm going the other side, and that is the Packers simply can't get to Jimmy Garoppolo. Now, with no running game to speak of because they're out every single running back. I mean, it is unbelievable. We're on like six stringers here for the Niners. You do have a massive concern. I feel weird about going out there and taking a guy, you know, a team that likes to run the ball is using their fourth, fifth, and sixth running backs. Kyle Shanahan is 8-18-1 against the spread as a favorite. He doesn't cover. I can't lay money with them. But if you're trying to take the Packers, forget about the Devontae Adams and Aaron Rodgers situation. League's lowest sack rate going up against the Niners, least amount of pressure on the quarterback in the league. That is a massive offensive line mismatch. And since we are off tomorrow night, we'll look at the Monday nighter. Philly in Dallas to take on the Cowboys NFC East. Rivalry matchup here. The Cowboys survived last week on the road against the Chargers and get their first win. And the Eagles dropped their first game of the year against the previously mentioned 49ers. Uh, Eagles offense, questionable for me. I Really looking at big question marks there. I don't think they've established any type of run situation with Sanders there. Uh, Hertz seems to be Mr. Happy Feet at all times right now. 
And, and Dallas, Tom, we, we know they can score, but they have problems giving up points as well. They're a three-and-a-half-point favorite in this one. Last week, didn't score 30 points and still won the game. So that'll tell you. They need their offense. Dak Prescott looked off last week. You know, I heard somebody explain on the radio. I wish I could give credit, but it was just during the week. And they said, you know, it's like a pitcher going out there just didn't have his fastball. He was able to gut it through and, just, you know, didn't have his best stuff, but he got the win. And that's exactly what it looked like. The problem is that Dak Prescott didn't have his best stuff. Ezekiel Elliott doesn't have his best stuff. And all of a sudden, you start to look at Dallas and you go, you know, if your offense isn't clicking, are you going to win this this Monday night affair against a good Philly defense? You talked about the Philly offense, and you're right. I'm not a Jalen Hurts fan. Miles Sanders looks lost out there. Zach Ertz is actually going to miss this game. Yeah, you got Rieger and you got Smith, and they got some speed, but he's got to be able to get the ball to him. But it's the defense. Philly's defense looks massively improved. Very, very impressive. They impressed me in week one and last week against San Francisco, even in a loss. That was an impressive showing by their defense. Can they slow the, the Cowboys down? I think that the Eagles are going to have some offensive success. Keanu Neal, by the way, just tested positive, and he's not going to play positive for COVID, by the way, despite getting the uh, <laughs> the shot, which <laughs> everybody is now. Um, he's not going to play Monday. So that's a, a concern. Not only a concern because Keanu Neal is a pretty good player, it's a concern because he was going to be the spy on Jalen Hurts. Jalen Hurts' biggest attribute is that he could run around and, and kind of do things with his legs on the ground. You take that away. I think that the Cowboys very well could turn around and, and give up a lot of points in this game. The Eagles want this game to be played in the low 20s. The Cowboys want this into the 30s. It's going to be an interesting uh, situation. Here's an against the spread for you. The home team is 5-0 against the spread the last five meetings. So I think Dallas probably wins, Tim. But if Dak Prescott doesn't have a better game than he does last week, I could see this getting real interesting. I'll, I'll lean with Dallas. I, I like the fact that the way Tony Pollard played last week gives them faith that they they have a, a you know Zeke's not feeling it. They're, they have Pollard's situation there, and then just the receivers are so good in Dallas. So we'll really see how good the Philly secondary is matched up Monday night. Plus, it's Dallas's first home game of the year. I think that they'll be hyped up for it. So I'll lean Dallas with you. Yeah, yeah, that's right. I'm leaning. I don't like the the three and a half and the four. You know, if this yeah. was a if this was a three point spread, I, maybe. But it's a Monday night game. Monday night game that I'll probably be sitting out yet again. I saved I saved some time for baseball, Tommy. But since we're at it, we might as well do our week three free plays. Both of us are undefeated on the year at two and zero. So I will uh, I will defer to the the man, Mr. Tom Barton. Your free play for week three. Tim, this is a tough week. Um, it was a tough week for totals. Like, you, like you've heard me say, I like the over in two or three spots. And the overs are 55, 56, 56. I, I just, it scared me away. I like a couple of leans with teams. I liked Miami, uh, backup quarterback. I liked the Colts, backup quarterback. Uh, so there are some spots here where it was tough. But I did find a gem. And here's my free play from TomBartonSports.com. And I'm going to have more plays up. I'm taking Atlanta and the Giants over the 47. Okay. Look, the defenses are just a problem. And, and Matt Ryan has gone up here, and he's looked impressive. Even against Tampa Bay's defense last week, they could put up points. Matt Ryan can still put up points in this league. The Giants can't stop anybody on the ground. So I think Mike Davis opens things up for Ridley, opens things up for Pitts. I think Atlanta closes in on 30. And on the other side, maybe Daniel Jones is for real. I don't know if we can come away with that conclusion after this game, 
But Atlanta's defense is terrible. I think Saquon plays a larger role this week. Saquon probably gets into the end zone. Um, I think Daniel Jones has a good game. This has a makings of a game that's, you know, 28-27, 31-30. And this is a massively low line at 47.5. Lock it in for Tom Barton. Over in the Falcons-Giants game. We're taking 47.5 on that line. So that takes us to the Timmy Teaser, Tom. I know you've been waiting for it. The Timmy Teaser of the week. We'll go seven-point line. We're going to take first off. I'm, I'm going to go. I'm going to be the homer here. I'm going to take my Ravens at Detroit. The, the only way this doesn't cover, Tom, is if they lose the game straight out. So give me the Ravens minus the one or half, if you're looking at it that way. And I'm going to take an afternoon matchup for team number two. Give me, give me Denver laying a field goal at home against the Jets. Uh, again, the only way I see this game happening is if they lose it straight out. So give me the Ravens, give me the Broncos to go 3-0. and What do you think? I like that. I like that a lot. What does that pay? What does it pay for, for 100 bucks? Uh, Get like 83 so, return or something like that? You need So you need... It's... Oh, you're doing no. a teaser. Okay, I thought you were doing money yeah. line. Oh, okay, no, no, yeah, yeah, so doing a teaser. Oh, yeah, yeah, listen, yeah. I like it. I like it a lot. And yeah, you're, you're mitigating the risk. I don't like teasers, but I like that. You're right. 120 wins you 80, so. Right, this is perfect. perfect. Yeah. yeah, no, I forgot it was a teaser. I'm doing a money line parlor. <laughs> and the upset alert is officially over. Oregon 41, Arizona 19. Top five will remain the same. By the way, did you count. see the end of that game, Tim? No. Oregon was up 41 to 19. There was four minutes to play. And um, who are they playing? I'm sorry. Uh, Arizona. And Arizona tries to kick a field goal and they missed the field goal. What the hell are you kicking a, a field goal <laughs> down 22 yeah. points with four minutes to play? Down 22 points with four minutes to play. They're kicking a field goal. What, what was that all about? I don't even understand that play call. That... What was the line? Yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> By the way, did you see what Chase Claypool did? Mm-mm. So today, you know, this is an, I know you want to talk about baseball, but this is a pretty interesting uh, development. So Mertz, you know, it, it, it plays for Wisconsin, and he had you know a, a bad game at the end of the game against Notre Dame. Chase Claypool goes to Twitter and says, "Mertz hammered the Notre Dame alternate spread. Thanks, kid." <laughs> I don't. Wow. I know he's joking, man. But I just wow. don't think professional players should be be talking about alternate line spreads in college football games. <laughs> I, it, it's just dangerous. What are you doing? Keep your mouth shut. It, it's, it's kind of funny, though. It's kind of it funny. is fun. <laughs> <laughs> but you know what? Anytime a Pittsburgh Steeler wide receiver goes near uh, Twitter, I'm like, just stay away. Please don't, don't become Juju. No. Yeah. All right. Last few minutes since next week. We'll have an updated preview of the Major League Baseball playoffs. We've got about seven games left, Tom. And we'll start in the American League where the Yankees have now ripped off five in a row. They're wild card number one. Boston is wild card number two with a game to go tomorrow. The Blue Jays two back. Seattle three back. Oakland four back. It's going to be a crazy week. Yeah, listen, when when the Yankees began the week, what did I tell you? I said, you know, they have nine games to play. Um, and I think it, it was at that point it was all about how many games you need to win? Nine games to play, but they had three against Boston, three against uh, Toronto, and then they finished against Tampa, who probably will have nothing to play for. And what I said about the Yankees was, 
you got to look at these nine games and you have to say, if they win six, they're in the playoffs. Okay? If they win five, you, you probably got a shot. If you win four, you still kind of have a shot, but you're behind the eight ball. You win anything less, you're done. Well, the Yankees came out and won the first two. The first two of the needed nine. So, you know, you look and you go, how many games do they got left? What are we doing? Yeah, I, Okay. It, they're, they're still in that spot, Tim, where they got seven games left. How many games do they need to win? Because the Blue Jays are chasing, Seattle's chasing, Oakland's chasing. But to me, Seattle's lost today, effectively eliminated them. Oakland's lost today, effectively, effectively eliminated. But Toronto, they still have head-to-head. I think it's very important for the Yankees to stay two games up going into the Toronto series because that means they only got to win one of three. If you go into the last three games against Tampa, who doesn't care about anything, and you are able to go into that up one game, you're going to go to, go to the playoffs. So it's massively important tomorrow for either Toronto to lose the Yankees to win or things to stay the same. Meaning Yankees win, Toronto wins, Yankees lose, Toronto lose. They have to go into that Toronto series up two. As far as the Red Sox, oh, by the way, we hadn't talked about them. Because they had a pretty decent three-game lead that has now dwindled to Toronto might be chasing them. So you start to look. Now, I know it's not head-to-head. Here's why we haven't paid attention to Boston. Tim, the next six games, they got, well, seven games after the Yankee game, they got six games. Three against Baltimore, three against Washington. Mm-hmm. So I'm putting Baltimore in the playoffs because, I mean, uh, uh, Boston in the playoffs because out of those six games, I think they win five of six. I, I, I'd i be shocked if they don't win four of six, but I think they win five of six. The Yankees got to take on, you know, the Red Sox in Toronto. I'm very impressed with the Yankees did. I think, they, I think they're in, Tim. I think they're in the playoffs. They're two games up with seven to play. I'm calling them in the playoffs now just just taking away a tragic disaster against Toronto. I think, here's the thing, I think you can lose, if you're the Yankees, you can lose two or three to Toronto. If you win three, uh, if you win all three, the playoffs are over. If you win two of three, I think the playoffs are over. You can win one of three and still be okay going into that final weekend. That's why I'm putting the Yankees in. And essentially you're looking at the first round playoff game as well between two of these three teams. Right, absolutely. And you're you're looking at a situation where Tampa Bay is going to have nothing to play for. The Yankees are at home in Yankee Stadium. Tampa Bay is resting guys. They've already, you know, kind of started pull guys back. And you got to be if you're Tampa Bay, hey, you know what? I don't want to I don't want him to see our starting pitchers if we got to go, you know, play them in a, in up the playoffs. So, mm-hmm. yeah, we'll play an opener here. We'll throw him out Michael Walker. You know, they're just not going to play it the way that they absolutely need to play it. So I really do believe that the Yankees getting that extra game, that two-game lead um, is massive. Because even if they lose tomorrow night to Boston and Toronto wins, it's a one-game lead going into a three-game series. That lead is just giant. If the Yankees lose two or three, you're tied going into the last three games of the season. And if you wind up winning two of three, to me, you've just made the playoffs. And over on the National League side, Dodgers, Cardinals, it looks like that will be your matchup. It looks Cincinnati and Philly should eliminate themselves here early in the week. I, I, San Diego's already done, by the way. Everybody that uh, told me I was crazy for saying that I needed to see them do it before I was buying in before the year and people going, oh, come on. 
Tatis. Yeah, okay. Uh, they're, they're home. Cincinnati's probably done. I mean, look, the Cardinals are going to the playoffs, and they've won 13 games in a row. It's absolutely unbelievable what this team has continued to do. Adam Wainwright should get Cy Young votes. John Lester should get second half of the year Cy, Cy Young votes. I mean, it's really crazy. And Paul Goldschmidt, by the way, has been red hot. He should get MVP votes. I would give Paul Goldschmidt the MVP over Tatis any day, okay, with what he has done at this point. So, you look at this, it's going to be Cardinals, it's going to be Dodgers. Who do the Dodgers put out there for their one-game playoff? Do you put Clayton Kershaw, who hasn't completed five innings since coming off the DL and got spanked again today by the D-backs? Do you put him out there? Do you put Julio Urias, who is leads all of Major League Baseball right now, leads everybody in wins, or do you put Walker Bueller? I got I to gotta do Bueller. Yeah, I think it'll be Bueller. And, and Wainwright, right? It, yeah, and Wainwright. It's going to be a hell of a one-game series. One-game series, really, when you look at it. And Tommy, 15 in a row for the Cardinals. 15 in a row. 15. Oh, yeah, I forgot the doubleheader. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Tim, Tim, Wainwright, Bueller, Dodger Stadium. What, what's your line? Uh, can we get plus 200 for the for the cards? No, maybe Dodgers. Dodgers one, minus 220? Dodgers one, 180, 170, oh, 180. Oh, come on. You're not giving me my, my, my value here? I'm I'm all over St. Louis, by the way. <laughs> I don't care what the number is back, but I'm hoping. Yeah, you you might be right. I just think people are just going to just assume the Dodgers are going to crush them. Uh, it, but, if St. Louis wouldn't I, have been I'll, as hot as they are, I think maybe you might have a shot at it. But uh, they're just they're, it's a great story that nobody's really talking about, and you know that's just the way it is. But here's the worry with St. Louis. Look, the Yankees just won 13 games in a row, and then they went into a tailspin. The Cardinals, yeah. they're going to lose the game here. they got to be able to bounce back from that loss whenever the loss comes, right? Whenever that loss happens, they got to be able to bounce back. You don't want to go into the playoffs winning 20 games in a row, Tim. You know, I, I know it sounds weird, but you don't want to do that. You don't want to win no. 20 games in a row going into the playoffs. And the minute they lose a the game, they've got to be able to bounce back. We see it happen so many times. 13 games in a row, and then what, what happens? You lose five of the next six or something like that. The Cardinals have got to be able to correct the ship. It would be better if they lost tomorrow than if they go until the end of the year. Tommy, take us on out of here. Big plays up at TomBartonSports.com and Wagering Week podcasts available right now. Yeah, absolutely, guys. Wagering Week this week is going to be outstanding. I have Frank Thomas joining me, the big hurt, so he's going to be on that. Go check out Wagering Week, uh, which I'm going to be for next week, but you can listen to this week's right now as well. TomBartonSports.com, guys. Go check it out. Listen, if you guys like the content, you like what we do, you got to support it. Go to TomBartonSports.com right now. There's no upselling. I'm never going to call your house. There's none of that. You just get every play at TomBartonSports.com. Tom, good luck tomorrow. We'll talk to you next weekend. Have a good one, guys. Tom Barton, TomBartonSports.com. For Mateo, Tim Unglesby, have a great Sunday afternoon football. We'll talk to you next Saturday night at 10 o'clock. It's Heatwave Sports only on Fox Sports Radio. Good night. This is what it takes. That's the difference. I've been waiting for this all my life. It's my time. I never hesitate. I take down, stand my ground. Look at all the valleys that I made it through. You're looking at somebody with too much to lose. The sacrifice is made every day. We are very optimistic about 2021. We're Las Vegas' number one location for starting.